Welcome to SEC Unfiltered, home of the best SEC content on the internet. The following is brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code SECU to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks is the simplest fantasy game on the market focused around prop total entries. You pick two to six players and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. Prize Picks has no sharks, optimizers, or mass multi entry guys. It's literally just you against the projection. They also allow mixed sports entry. So, for example, you can take the over on LeBron, parlay with the under on Mahomes. They've got college sports. Pro sports, literally anything and everything you can think of, they have got it over at Prize Picks. They also have a slick, easy to use mobile app, both on the App Store and Google Play. They're rated 4.8 stars in the App Store with rave reviews as well. Guys, so many fans and listeners of SEC Unfiltered have made tons of money with our friends at Prize Picks, and you should as well. Well, so again, go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code SECU to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Be sure to check them out and tell them that Chris from SEC Unfiltered sent you. Let's get it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All things Georgia Bulldogs, the entire SEC, and more with our good friend Brooks Austin. He's the director of recruiting for SI's Fan Nation, the lead editor for Dogs Daily, and he's also known better as the film guy. Brooks Austin taking the time to join us. Brooks, what's going on, my man? Your nickname, the film guy, is that as simple as just 
it, it is what it is. You watch a lot of film, break down a lot of film. Is there more to that? Why the nickname The Film Guy? So honestly, here's how it happened. Like every time I was ever introduced to a show like this or anytime anyone would bump into me or anytime anyone would recognize my content, the only time they, the only time they ever recognized my content originally was off the film stuff. And they, they would go, Hey, Hey, you're, you're that, you're that guy. You're that, you're, you're that guy that does the film, right? You, you stand up on the board and you do the film. And I was like, and it kept every time like radio announcers would stumble over because they would find my stuff on YouTube and they, they bring me on and they try to uh, like figure out how they're going to explain to their audience what I do. And they're like, he's this guy that does the films work on YouTube. And you really got to check him out because he does a great job. So eventually I, I hate, I hate the idea that I named myself, but eventually I was like, dude, I'll just moniker it. Like I'm, I'm the guy that does the film. So I'll just be the film guy. And that's kind of what I do. I, I break down a lot of films, especially in season off season stuff. Uh, you know, I watch a lot of tape, you know, in house. Sometimes you just got to pick it up and run with it, my friend. I respect that. Brooks, what's the offseason look like for you right now? Obviously, there's no offseason in college football. We got the portal. We got recruiting, right? We're just talking off air. You're talking on camps and, you know, recruits showing off their skills in the classes of 25 and 26, et cetera. But uh, what does that look like right now? I feel like if there's any point in the year that is kind of a dead period of some sort, it's probably this one, maybe middle of summer as well. But uh What's Brooks Austin up to these days when it comes to to talking all things college football and obviously Georgia? Yeah, I wish I wish my brain would allow me to just kind of hang out and and be normal during this quote unquote off season, but it don't really work like that. ADHD don't really work like that at all. <laughs> um, no, but it, this is a big recruiting time for me as as a director of recruiting. I try to see as many kids as I possibly can. For example, like yesterday. It was the Under Armour event, the Under Armour Report event here in Atlanta. Over, it's not in Atlanta. It's labeled the Atlanta event. It's in Carrollton. Um, there was probably like 200 of the nation's top prospects here in the southeast out there, all the way from Mississippi, I think all the way up to Tennessee, North Carolina, down to North Florida, um, all venturing to Carrollton to, to compete in various one-on-ones, uh, high-weight speed events, you know, run a 40, jump a broad jump, and then you get some one-on-one work. Um, a good opportunity to see like, you know, that that the premium, premium prospects from 2025 all the way down to 2027. And then as that event wrapped up, I jetted over to Atlanta to co-host the uh, uh, awards gala for Born to Compete, which here in Atlanta and, and Metro Atlanta and the state of Georgia, really, Born to Compete is a organization that handles all of Metro uh, you know, youth sports. So uh, all of the greatest young athletes from the middle school ranks, sixth to eighth, uh, I get my chance to get introduced to those uh, young men, uh, you know, from that opportunity. I, I, coach Smart was there last night. Uh, Jimmy Smith, the wide receivers coach from Arkansas, was there last night. Uh, it's a well, well-known and notarized uh, youth sports organization that, man, they've hit. They've hit on a lot of great players from K.J. Bolden um, to, you know, Tre uh, Trevor Lawrence to um, – you know, even our guy J Justin Fields out there with the Chicago Bears. So these are guys that Alex Benson has found from, you know, sixth grade all the way up until high school football. So, uh, you know, a busy, busy time for me during the offseason of just trying to see as many people as I possibly can and meet as many faces. Brooks, you mentioned the the gala last night. I was going to say also, in case folks have missed it, head of the timeline, check out the sweater sports coat duo. That was a nice <laughs> thing for you, man. I appreciate that. Um Brooks, let's go to a conversation you just had. Dan Lanning, congratulations on that, by the way. Oregon head coach, obviously uh, former Georgia assistant. What were your biggest takeaways from that conversation? I'm sure, obviously, there was a lot to unpack, and I'm sure that was a really impactful conversation. But 
What was the thing or couple things you took away from that conversation from discussing with the Oregon head coach? Just how different he is, different he is from the tree. Like, I, I think he gets labeled this, like, Saban tree guy, this smart tree guy. Like, dude, that man, that man does, like, dozens of interviews this time of the year. Now, he's very selective with the companies that he goes and does business with, but like every person is. But, I mean, he does, like, media interviews with other people. Nick Saban and, and Kirby Smart don't do that. He's a smiler. Like, he smiles. He has fun. Like, he has all the energy that is required to work as hard as the legends have and the, the premier of the, the coaching sport or the, the, the profession have, but he's got a different like vibe about him. He's much more, uh, I don't, I don't want to use the term personable or relatable, but at least from a media perspective. And I know Kirby and Nick don't act like this around their, their, their guys that they work with and the players that they coach, but from a general media outside perspective, Dan Lanning seems far more approachable than his than, than the guys that he learned underneath. So he seems very different to me than than the other guys. But man, it's it's very obvious to me that even as a young football coach, he's constantly thinking about uh, how like the processes and how he's going to improve them, um, and, and just like not being afraid to veer away from standard operations. For example, uh, one of the questions I asked him about was his hiring process, like. Dude, man, if you know anything about college football coaches, these guys are habits, like creatures of habit. I know in your area, right, they just brought up Sean Elliott, right, the, the tight ends coach from Georgia State. That dude never left Columbia because he loves Columbia. He loves South Carolina, a very creature of habit dude. And they hire off of their own trees, and they hire off of guys that they know and coaches that they know, and this coach worked with this coach, and I know this buddy. Dude, he just pulled a, a, a coordinator off of a UTSA staff. And, and, and replace Kenny Dillingham with them and managed to improve by seven points. He had no prior existing relationship with that guy. And I think one of the, the primary requisites or, you know, needed things to be great at coaching and an elite football coach is to be able to not only retain your staff, but replace your staff when they get pulled off. And, and Lanning's checking a lot of boxes except for Washington last year. That was, that was it. That was the only box he didn't check last year. Brooks, you mentioned that Sean Elliott thing. I want to ask you about that because on the surface, you know, I think it's a great move for South Carolina. Sean Elliott, a guy that had that previous experience there, was the interim head coach when Steve Spurrier hung it up midseason and obviously was the run game coordinator for really, I would say, Brooks, the last time that South Carolina had a high-level, consistent running game. So it's a huge boost for the Gamecocks. But there's been a lot of talk over the last couple of days of, the how that went down, you know, Georgia State had started spring ball and then he ups and leaves and now they've postponed it. They've postponed their spring game. I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that. Again, like you mentioned, you've had a lot of conversations with a lot of different coaches. You follow the recruiting side as closely as anybody. So you understand the impact that it has on kids, whether they just got on campus or they're making decisions. Did you have any issue with the way the Sean Elliott thing went down with South Carolina in regards to just the timing of it all? Yeah, I think I think issues and, and things like that, those those are emotional responses, and I can understand that. I don't know about the emotions of this decisions. I, I, I look at the stone cold hard facts of this, right? And the facts of this are Sean Elliott never really left Columbia. Sean Elliott did a, a decent to above average and one season a great job at Georgia State over his tenure. Um, but they were also 129th in re, in returning production this year, um, coming up. And this was also a job that just felt like it felt like it was on the downtick, right? For him and just his overall run there at Georgia State. 
And also, this felt like a football coach based off of some of the uh, the the tea leaves that he's left out in the media that he wasn't really jiving with working like you need to work as a head coach to be a great head coach at the mid-major level. And also, let's be honest about the fact that his salary is a publicly known thing, and he was making about $800,000, and that's an SEC position coaching like salary at a, at a top football program. Um, so there was no, like, there's a demotion in title, but there wasn't a demotion in pay. And you're going back to where your, your kids are still actively, I believe, playing high school football in Columbia. So if you just look at it on the surface and you just respect this from a human decision, you can understand why Sean Elliott made this decision. Um, and you can also, you can also look at it and say, damn coach, you really had to do this two days into spring practice. Well, yeah, and and South Carolina needed to hire a tight ends coach because their really, really good tight ends coach just took a head coaching job elsewhere. So we needed to do something quickly, and you weren't necessarily in love with where you were at. So let's get you back to where you are in love, which is Columbia. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Brooks, this offseason, it goes without saying, looks differently for the Georgia Bulldogs than last year. Obviously, this time last year, Georgia coming off a national championship, back-to-back national titles, I might add. You also had, though, some of the chaos and the madness that was happening off the field. And, mm. you know, I know Kirby Smart obviously talked about, you know, we're never going to be the hunted. We're going to be the hunter. you fighting complacency. That's what you continue to fight day in, day out, especially when you've won back-to-back titles. But, my question to you, Brooks, is this. How much different does this offseason look for Georgia compared to last year, and could it actually be a great thing for the Bulldogs? Because they were combating a lot. I mean, it just it felt like yeah. it sort of compounded, and then we got in the season, and it's like Georgia couldn't win by enough because when you're being measured up against, it's not about are you the best team in the SEC. It's about are you good enough to win three straight national titles. Like, there was a lot going on. It feels like it's a little bit calmer waters this offseason. Do you think that could lead to some bigger things for Georgia down the road? Yeah, much a much quieter offseason for sure. You're you're 100% correct on that. The thing that they've been fighting this offseason and, and they're continuing to fight right now is the NFL. They're swatting the NFL off to, to save their staff. I mean, Brian McClendon just got picked off um, recently to, to go. I mean, he took the same title. He was a wide receivers coach and a pass game coordinator at the University of Georgia. He took the same title at Tampa because the NFL knows what everybody else has been told, which is that college football coaches right now are not exactly, I'm not going to say they're not happy. They're just, they're not in love with the, the, the nature of the sport right now. 
Um, if you talk to any college football coach, well, you probably can't get them on the phone because they're probably getting berated by their own roster right about now because it's the dead period. So they can't be out hunting, you know, the next kid to berate them for a raise constantly. But that's what's happening right now. College football coaches and position coaches in particular, head coaches are having to deal with the stress of this. But position coaches in college football right now are constantly under threat of my guy just threatened me with a new raise elsewhere. Is it real? I don't know. I would have to call that school that he just threatened me with to find out. And even if it was true or even if it wasn't, that guy's going to tell me, I don't know what you're talking about. So it's a whole lot of blind bluffing games and, and, and blind threats and empty threats. Do I live up to this? Is this kid good enough? Can I replace him? Oh, shit, there's the portal. Oh, my God, how do I get under 85 it's just a mess right now when you can just go coach the the tight 53 in the in pro ball and probably get a raise for doing so. So and, and you're seeing the NFL skew younger because these types of players who have had all of this freedom during their college football career, well, guess where they're at now? They're in pro ball. And guess what they don't want to do? They don't want to listen to hard-edged coaches. So they're having to resort to younger guys that can quote unquote relate to them. So uh, the world of college football is what it is, but the world of college football coaching uh, is, I wouldn't say under attack, but it's definitely under some uh, loose gravel for sure. Brooks, Georgia, of course, going to be one of the favorites in 2024 to win it all yet again. Going in a spring ball, what would you say is the top storyline for Georgia? Maybe some of the loose ends they're going to try to tighten up once they get into spring practice. Yeah, I mean, we just talked about it. They They lost their wide receivers coach. I mean, this this is wild to me for as well as Georgia recruits at every other position. Check this out. There's like seven names. You can't I mean, if you're going like nine, ten deep in a wide receiver core. It's like an NBA bench that they're like last three guys. They're not getting used. So let's not even talk about them. But let's talk about their wide receiver core and, and corpse. I guess you could write it. We talk about it in core, spell it corpse. That's always been weird to me. Um, let's talk about their wide receiver core, right? Uh, you, you got guys like Colby Young that just came in. Uh, London Humphreys just came in. Michael Jackson the third just came in. Rob Rod Thomas is returning, right? They need a big year. Dominic Lovett, that's a guy that's returning from a transfer. They need a big year. Those are five transfer names. Oh, and then they got these these uh home, we'll call them homegrown talents in Dylan Bell and Anthony Evans Jr. And then we like on the verge there, we're gonna talk about names like Tyler Williams, but in the tight seven, tight eight. Only like two guys that they've recruited. The other five that they're dependent upon are guys that they have had to steal from other rosters via the portal or grab from other rosters via the portal. That to me is not what Kirby Smart is about. We've talked like he has talked about it ad nauseum with regards to the portal is a band-aid solution. The portal is not a cultural builder. We are not trying to build the foundation off the portal that will not sustain. Well, they have built the foundation of the wide receiver room out of the portal, and those are all great players. They might boom, but Georgia doesn't have a Jamison Williamson uh, history. Like they don't have a Joe Burrow. They don't, like name the great transfer at the University of Georgia. They they haven't hit home runs. They've hit they've hit ground rule doubles. They've hit Trey McKitty's come in and start for us. They've hit Eli Wolf's come in and start for us. They've hit guys that have played well. The biggest home run might be J.R. Reed. And and guys outside of the Georgia space were like, yeah, JRE was a good football player, but he's not, not like a dude, not like a first-round draft pick. So I, I'm not saying you have to hit on these things, but they don't have a superstar right now, a guaranteed, guaranteed bona fide dude, the wide receiver position. 
They've got a lot of guys that they brought in from other places that they are hoping become dudes at their university. So that, that would be the one room I look at and be like, man, for like four years, I write articles every single year. Will this year be the year Georgia has a thousand yard receiver? And Alabama had a year a couple of years ago where they had two of some bitches. So I, I, there you go. That, that would be the area that I would point at. Brooks, I want to ask you about what you're expecting from this guy on the field. But first, how do you feel like Georgia fans have embraced Trevor Etienne? Because, you know, I know it's the portal era where it's free agency and guys can up and go anywhere. It doesn't matter. The school and go in conference. Doesn't matter. But Florida, Georgia, Georgia, Florida is a real rivalry. There's a lot of hatred. And so going from wearing that Florida uniform to wearing that Georgia uniform, like, I know dog fans, I'm sure, are just elated he's going to be on their side, being productive in the running game, what he's going to mean. But, like, what's the embrace been like? Has there been any mixed feelings, honestly, or is it just kind of an acceptance of, hey, this is where we are, we're just glad we're, you're wearing our colors now? Yeah, it don't, it don't hurt until they're good. That's the way this works. We all know this. Every fan base operates this way. If Brenton Cox leaves Georgia and is okay at Florida, but he's really just kind of bad, not great, you know, he's not good, um, then it's okay. It's all fun and games. Y'all got what's left of our roster, right? Uh, if if Jermaine Johnson, however, goes to Florida State and becomes a first-round draft pick, everybody's like, what the hell? If Justin Fields is sitting in New York the year after he leaves Georgia, like Kirby Smart still has to listen to that shit. You know what I mean? Like he won a title, two titles with Stetson Bennett, which was only a roster spot that was open because Justin Fields transferred to Ohio State. And because Justin Fields was a first-round draft pick, he still has to listen to that every once in a while as a, you made the wrong decision. So none of this matters unless the guy leaves and is good. If the guy comes from a different program and is going to help your roster, it's all fair and game. Like, we all are fine with that. That's how fandom works. I think that's across the board. Um, you know, you're, you're a, a South Carolina fan. fan. How, how does Jaheim Bell sit in your crawl? How's Marshawn Lloyd feel? How, how do those operate for you? Uh, well, they were pretty good at their next stop. So, yeah, it's 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 mixed feelings, to say the least. And I Correct. think I speak for most of Gamecock Nation. But if they were duds, you would be like, ha, yeah, can't no live biggie. without. No, no biggie, right? <laughs> yeah, you know <laughs> you got, what I mean? You got what's left. You got yeah. we squeezed We squeezed every bit of juice yeah, out of yeah, this. So. Yeah, you can have the leftovers. Um, yeah. On the note of Trevor Etienne, though, I think the good news for Georgia, bad news for Florida, he's going to be – one of the best running backs, maybe if not the best running back in the SEC in 2024. Your thoughts on what he's going to mean to that offense, and I, and I can't help, but we're going to get to quarterback in a second, but I, I can't help but think, Brooks, that, you know, I, we looked last year and what Mike Bobo did, and, I mean, the numbers, it was incredible, and I'm like, this Georgia offense very well could be better. Like you mentioned, they got to figure out wide receiver, and, you know, you got to replace guys like Brock Bowers and, and Ladd McConkey, and it's like, I don't think it's about talent with Georgia. It's just who's going to be the guy late in the Auburn game that makes the plays when you need them, right? And that's what Brock Bowers was, and he was in many other games. But this offense very well could be better, and a lot of it could have to do with the Trevor Etienne at the running back position, what he's going to give the dogs in the running game. You're 100% correct in, in this sense right here. I, Georgia will be so solid up front. they got to figure out center. Like, Jared Wilson's got to, like, he's got to become a guy, you know what I mean? Like, to, to make this all be true. But – from from the talent and the returning depth up on the offensive line, at the University of Georgia, your job as the running back is to take care of the plus one defender. What do I what do I mean by that? Well, the five down guys, I promise you, they're gonna pick up five. They they're gonna handle their business nine times out of ten. 
So we are one make a miss, like make the linebacker miss that's free, make the front side safety miss that's free. We are one make a miss away from an explosive run on 90% of your runs at the University of Georgia. It's not that it's not that drastic, but it's far more drastic at Georgia than most programs, right? And Trevor Etienne's like primary like plus plus traits are the first defender rarely brings him down. And even if he does, it's plus. It's, it's yards after the contact point for that football player. Um, the one the one area of improvement is going to have to be pass protection, but we can say that about a lot of backs. Um, but, yeah, I, I am bullish on the idea that they're going to bring in a guy, and this is why I think Dejon Edwards had so much success at the University of Georgia. His ability to make that first guy miss was unquestionable for three, four years. Um, and it's why he always had, you know, you know, a, a positive stat line every time you looked at it. So I don't see games where we look up and we're like, daggum, Trevor Etienne has been held to 2.8 yards per carry today. That that just won't happen. He's too good of a back, got too good of a vision. He's too hard to bring down. Brooks, I mentioned Brock Bowers, and there's arguably no replacing what might be the best tight end in college football history. But if you looked at this Georgia roster right now, who do you think could be that next Brock Bowers is there a guy like that on this right that could be at least at minimum that you know I feel like the thing with Brock Bowers he was again that clutch that go-to when Georgia needed to play it felt like 19 was always there in some form or fashion is there another guy on this roster you think has that potential so I, I want to what in my opinion what made Brock what made Brock Bowers elite is his contact balance and his contact strength. Like anytime he got hit, you saw like very little effect upon him. So his yards after the catch were tremendous. You saw Georgia get the ball in his hands in a variety of different ways because of this. That portion of a replacement in the tight end room, I, I don't believe anyone will ever be that again for them. Like there's there's clips of him running like tight end angles against Georgia Tech and then like grabbing the ball, catching the ball to the 20-yard line and splitting two safeties playing cover two down the middle of the field. These are two guys standing at the damn hash, okay, standing at the hashes, and he runs right down the middle of them. I don't think you'll ever see that again from the tight end room. However, from a after-the-catch standpoint, from a physical stamp, like physical trait standpoint, Oscar Delp is an NFL-like body. Oscar Delp is six foot five. He's 250 pounds, and when he was around me on the recruiting surf circus and or circuit in high school, sometimes is a circus, circuit in high school, like I'm multiple hand multiple times hand timed him sub like sub four six in the four five range. So from a height weight speed perspective, Oscar Delp is that guy. Now give him some run, see what he looks like in an extended role. We'll find out what he actually like what his ceiling is. I think I know what his floor is. His floor is 450 yards. His floor is you know a, a standard passable grade tight end in 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 the SEC. Will he be a 650 yard guy this year? That's left up to him, and that's left up to the usage. They just brought in uh, Eurosec, the kid out of uh, Stanford. Now, he has one of these 650-yard seasons, his sophomore year. His junior year is kind of banged up. Um, he's he's kind of molded as this yards-after-catch guy at Stanford. If you look at what his usage at Stanford, how they used him, it was very much so the the bells and whistles that sometimes you saw Georgia use uh, you know, Bowers in, in in that facet in years past, screens, reverses, uh, you know, giving a jet sweep to a tight end sounds like out of your mind. Like, why would you ever do that? Well, this guy can really go, coach, and he's really tough to tackle. It's almost like having a 6'4 running back out there. Okay, 
we'll sign up for that. I, again, I don't know if you'll have another one of those, but that's what made that guy a unicorn. So they got plenty of depth, and you get into names like Lawson Lucky and Pierce Sperling. I think Lawson's playtime definitely got impacted by the Eurosec edition. They got plenty of, of, of depth there. It's a matter of the top-end ceiling for sure. Brooks, as you and I both know, it starts with the trigger man in the SEC in college football, mm. and Carson Beck was one of the best. I, I still say I think he was massively underrated last year. You look at his numbers, uh, you know the type of year that he had, where Georgia ranked in regards to passing yards per game, and I think coming into 2024, you know, if you're talking about Heisman Trophy odds and what's a good bet and where's the value, I, I still think Brooks Carson Beck, yet again, is a great play I mean, do you view him as underrated? Is that fair? I, I just tend to feel like he's a very underappreciated player at quarterback for Georgia. Yeah, I don't I don't know how you finish top five in yards. And I think I think he completed 72.7% of his passes last year. Like, how do you how do you throw for 4,000 yards at 73% completion percentage and are underrated on a top five football player? Do program? you feel like he gets punished for being on a good team? I, I here's what I think it is because I'm with you. He definitely does not get the attention he deserves. People don't talk about his talent the way that they should. Two things. He checks the football down way too much for people who like fun shit. And he's just kind of boring. Like, and just from a, from an outside perspective, if you look, if you didn't, he drives a Lambo truck. That's pretty cool. But from a look, just don't, he don't look like Jackson Dart. He don't look like Caleb Williams. He don't. I, don't, I can't explain it. It's the only thing. It's the only theory I have because when you study him, when you watch him, and you actually look at, bro, he is playing the position. You know what I mean? Like he's not not doing highlight shit. He's not bailing out of the pocket early, rolling to his right, and throwing a ball on the run that made the highlight clips on Sports Center. But what he is doing is, oh, he's oh, that's cloud coverage. I'm gonna wait for that corner to bite down on the arrow, and then I'm gonna throw the corner right here on time on my three step no hitch. That's boring to you. You you see him throw a corner route, and you're like, ah, man, Brock Bowers is great. I'm like, yeah, but I watched him deep that corner with his shoulders and his eyes for like a half a step in his in his in his three step drop. And like again, you gotta be a super nerd to study it. But there's also a reason why even after th only 13 starts, there were uh, like I would say 40 percent of the NFL had a first round grade on that kid because they saw what is boring, but they saw what plays on Sundays. I think I think CJ Stroud got a little bit of this during his Ohio State run. People weren't really watching it. They're just like, oh, Ohio State quarterbacks don't develop. Ohio State quarterbacks don't work in the league. And then I watched him, but even studying before the Georgia game, I'm like, dude, that's his third read. That's his second read. That's his third read check down. Like he is processing, clicking through them. And if you can click through them and you can get the ball to the right guy, then you are playing quarterback. Like that, that is the position, and nobody wants to talk about that. Everybody wants to talk about, ooh, look at all this cool shit. Cool shit's fun, but Patrick Mahomes won Super Bowls this year doing fun stuff. They weren't beating teams by 40, they weren't scoring 45 points. They were playing the game and managing the game at 28, 29, 30, 30 points every single game and leaning on good defense. And that's the greatest quarterback in the world. But again, he did a lot of boring stuff this year, but he made his name off the fun shit. Carson Beck don't do fun shit. Carson Beck does quarterback stuff. And unless you're studying it, it really doesn't make a whole lot of highlights. Brooks, you can go into as much detail or as little detail into this as you want, because I'm sure you know a guy who knows a guy and maybe knows a guy. And so you've got a little bit different perspective than some 
with the Caleb Downs situation. Obviously, he transfers to Ohio State. What happened with that, and are, how surprised are you that he didn't end up in Athens? Um, so I think he committed on a Friday, Friday night, like five o'clock, right? Five, I think a Friday night, like eight thirty. I was in Atlanta at another workout. Um, so I remember where I was because I got a phone call from his camp right after the news broke. Hey, because here's how this works. It's like big head honchos, ESPN, national coverage, right? And then eventually it'll trickle down to the lower level local guy that's been covering him since he was 14. You would think it would be inverse. Hey, let's call the guy that's been around the family since middle school. And let's, you know what I mean? But it don't work like that. It's big head honcho and then it trickles down. So by, by the time I got the phone call, I had already gotten the uh, Twitter notification of the news having been broke. So that's kind of how it works. But from a, a, a knowledge standpoint, how did this operate? Broke down, committed on Friday. I was told somewhere midweek, like whether it be like Wednesday, let's call it Wednesday. I was told Wednesday there was a phone call to Georgia. It was like, hey, it's you guys. Hey, we, 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 we're just going to come there. We feel comfortable. T-Rob's there. System's there. No no change. Like, y'all are a national program. We're going to be a first-round draft pick in a couple of years anyways. Let's just go be comfortable. Those are familiar faces, right? Very unfamiliar place to us. We're not – they live in Georgia, but dad was a college football coach. Like, they don't have identity structures. You know what I mean? Like, some people who don't understand this lifestyle don't understand that coaches, they don't resonate to one local area. They're nomads. They go around where the where where the where the work is. You know what I'm saying? Where the promotion is. So this identity structure of a local place it, it doesn't exist with this this particular circumstance. And I would argue most coaches' sons. So it happened on Wednesday. Thought Georgia, hey, strong. That's why I think you saw a lot of people, myself included, on the Georgia end start hammering like, hey, predictions are in recruiting industries. Uh, whip flowing bombs. Blah 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 blah. Sliding scale majiggies. We're all like, hey, downs to Georgia. And then as time proceeds, right, as things start happening and as time prevails, like he still had to wait a 48-hour rule out. I think a lot of people forgot he couldn't actually commit until Friday, I believe it was. He put his name in the portal, I think Tuesday, and there's a 48-hour hold before the paperwork's actually in. So in that time span, Ohio State worked their way in. Texas even worked their way in. But Ohio State obviously was the, the main culprit. And a lot of stories about, uh, you know, money and promises. And I don't like the pocket watch. We don't really do that on my network. I'm, kids make money. We all know this. Um, I don't feel like boiling it down to, hey, they gave him a Bugatti. I don't know this stuff. But here, here's what I know. I know that there were certain football stipulations per my sourcing. And the football stipulations were this. Wanted to be a punt returner and a kick returner. Obviously wanted to play safety in a good system that prioritized safeties. And Coach Bowles' system up there, uh, it's more of a three-safety system. It's exactly that um, up at Ohio State. They prioritize safety play. Um, and I was told, and I believe this, I was told he wants to play a little bit of offense. Um, and, and when I heard that, I was like, oh, Caleb Downs wants to win a Heisman. Caleb Downs wants to win a Heisman, and, and his people want him to win a Heisman. And by the way, I think he's very capable of winning a Heisman. I think he's the one of the best. I, if you put him in a top three collection of position players in college football, I'd put him there. Like, if you studied him in Alabama this year, he was basically running their entire back end as a true freshman. Got first-round draft picks turning around, asking number two what to do. Like, well, he's a great football player, and and yeah, if it if it were eight to ten snaps on offense uh, this year or next year, I would not be surprised. Brooks, last thing, and we'll get you out of here. You mentioned the landscape of college coaching changing 
Mm-hmm. Uh, quickly, when you talk on Kirby Smart, I, I think there's many that have speculated that maybe the thing that's going to hold Kirby back from reaching the heights Nick Saban did was because of this this era of college football with NIL, the portal, and obviously I'm I'm not speaking to how he feels about it, but like you mentioned, it, it just takes a toll to any coach out there. Do you ever worry about the potential of, you know, Kirby Smart may come into a year and say, you know what, I want to take a shot at the NFL, I just want to coach ball, I don't want to really want to deal with being a, a general manager and a negotiator along with being the head football coach and coach ball. Do you ever think about that? Is that something that, I mean, do Georgia fans, I guess, speculate on the long-term future? Because Kirby obviously has built a monster there in Athens. You know, I've, I, he truly loves coaching at the University of Georgia. I mean, I, it's very special to him. Um, I don't the, – the NFL stuff would be about ego, and every coach got ego. So let's let's put that out there. Every coach thinks they can do it. If there's a job or a task or a, or a problem or a goal or whatever, every coach looks at that and says, I'm the guy. I'm signing up. I'm going to do that. So maybe the NFL is a thing. Um, I think burnout is the thing that's going to get this dude uh, more than anything. And here, here's one thing that I've noticed about him, and, and I, I, he's, not, he's not playing crazy with this NIL stuff. He never was. From the jump, he was – from an outsider's perspective and, and even an insider's perspective, it seemed very much to me like Georgia's approach to this has been, hey, let's just survive until some type of regulation comes because eventually it'll come. And I do believe that. Eventually, whether it be a Super League, whether it be the NCAA actually figuring out this $6 million sub league that they're talking about, whatever it is, some eventually this will come to balance. Um, and I think as long as he survives to that, the love of football and the constant drive to coach will eventually keep him around. It's the same thing they kept saving around. But the idea that someone's going to coach until their early 70s under the state of what it is now, no. There's no way in hell. Um, so he'll never catch him from a longevity standpoint. But will he last 10 more years under this structure? I don't even believe that. I don't I don't think anyone's lasting a decade the way we're doing it right now. Um, but – you know, there's there's got to be some type. I think one portal window is the thing that Landing mentioned. Like, if you just give us one portal window, that cuts December, you know's nightmare out of the way. Like, we just get rid of that. And, oh, by the way, how – like, player of mobility is fine. Like, player mobility is great. I want you all to be able to go. If coaches can leave, you should be able to leave. We all believe that. But the one window would actually keep these kids on campus for a full year. And from a just a young man's perspective, like being able to stay in one spot for a full year and, hey, just wait it out. I know you hate it now, but in 10 months, you might be okay. In 10 months, you might be fine. Instead, now we have these, like, it's almost like semi-annual decisions. Like, should I quit now or should I quit in six months? Well, just get there and let's hang out a year. I think that would be way, way, way safer for the longevity of this sport other than this just like we're basically like if you know anything about recruiting the state of florida is like this in florida you can play football somewhere you can play basketball another place you can run track at another spot and by the fall you can be back at another school playing football it's a freaking mess look at look at high school sports right now in florida and that's basically where we're heading in college football if you're not careful Brooks Austin, a dog's daily director of recruiting for SI's Fan Nation, and of course, better known as the film guy. Brooks, it's a pleasure, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Let's definitely do it again soon. No doubt, brother.
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.